Oh, yeah, I know. Atmospheric River. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll start with that. Hey, everybody. Brian Sussman here. Brian Sussman Show Podcast. Thanks for joining me. This is episode 169, and it is part 15 of our series, Skyjacked. We'll talk about the series in just a moment, but I wanted to talk about the atmospheric river. I'm tired of all of these propagandists popping off about the atmospheric river as if it's something brand new. Uh, Al Gore uses that term. He talks about rain bombs and atmospheric rivers and, and boiling oceans. But if we could for just a second, I really want to set the record straight. Atmospheric rivers. Back when I was on television, again, I haven't been a TV weatherman for 20 years, but the atmospheric river term is new. It's only been around, at least used popularly for the last several years. Back when I was doing the weather on the West Coast, every winter we would, well, we hoped that every winter we would have an atmospheric river. Atmospheric rivers back then we called the pineapple connection or the pineapple express or the banana current it's it's moisture coming up from the tropics into the higher latitudes that moisture is following a jet stream 90 percent of the moisture well yeah 90 90 of the moisture coming from the tropics gets dispersed or 90 percent of the moisture in the upper higher latitudes so higher latitudes are as you get closer to the Arctic or Antarctic. 90% of the moisture, the precipitation, the rain, the snow, in the higher latitudes comes from the lower latitudes via these type of, of currents, these type of weather systems. So again, on satellite, you see this long plume of moisture coming up from the tropics, moving into the higher latitudes. It follows the jet stream. We used to call it all of these crazy names. I mean, I guess we could have gotten super technical and said, well, it's a baroclinic leaf and the jet stream. And now they call it an atmospheric river. And people are reacting as if this is new. This is because of global warming. Can I tell you, 50% of the rain in California, or along the entire West Coast, 50% of the rain and snow comes from these atmospheric river events. We need them. We want them. When they stop, then we've got some problems. So again, there are large, narrow sections of the Earth's atmosphere concurrent with a jet stream that carry moisture from the Earth's tropics near the equator up to the poles. On the average, at any time, the Earth has four to five active atmospheric rivers going at once. They carry massive amount of amounts of moisture again this is something that's as long as long as there's been weather on planet earth there have been these these atmospheric rivers it's nothing new they're vital we have to have them we have to have them but again this is what the left does they come up with these this wild talk these crazy terms these unbelievable prophecies, like I talked about in the last episode. If you're just tuning in right now, check out episode number 168. 
I ticked off, I don't know how many prophecies that were made generally in the 70s and 80s, a little, little further into the 90s, of all of these environmentalists saying, we're doomed, it's ending. The most recent one, by the way, that I don't think I mentioned in the last episode came from Prince Charles. Prince Charles in the mid-2000s said, we have eight years. <laughs> then five years later, he said, oh, let's make it 33 years. This, this just proves, friends, this is not about science. This is something else. So on this particular episode of The Brian Sussman Show, and by the way, briansussman.com, that's my website. Uh, please, I urge you, Follow me and like me on Facebook. And here's why I say this. Super important. I was looking at my metrics today. And when you have a business account on Facebook, you can do this. You can see just how many people have gone to your page, what kind of reach you've had, what kind of engagement you've had. My engagement is pathetic. <laughs> when I first brought back my page, after having been um, away from Facebook for a couple of years, long story, you can listen to the podcast from last week or two weeks ago when I finally came back. My Facebook page was getting thousands, thousands of hits. I would post something and I'd get thousands of people responding. Now it's, it's a couple hundred. You see, the algorithms have caught up with me. And <laughs> this is what they do. And when you publish a book... Publishers really like to see your tribes. So I have to go into this long story why my tribes are so, where's your Twitter feed? I was kicked off. Where's your Facebook page? Um, personal Facebook is, is a personal Facebook page. I've got my business Facebook page, Brian Sussman Show. And uh, I've got like 7,500 followers. Well, why don't you have 75,000? Because, and then I go into the story. My Instagram page is Brian Sussman Show as well, but that is purely inspirational. My old Instagram page, which used to be uh, controversial, is, is long gone. So please like me on Facebook, Brian Sussman Show. Instagram, follow. Uh, website, take a peek. But I continue. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much for helping me out on this. So let's talk about taking a deep breath. Okay, here we go. Oxygen, carbon dioxide, oxygen, carbon dioxide. This is what's happening. Carbon dioxide is necessary for life. You have to have it. Carbon is the backbone of, of all life on earth. There's only so much on our planet and in the atmosphere combined it's a cycle it's just like water only so much water water cycle carbon carbon cycle we breathe it out plants breathe it in got those big oceans out there they're carbon sinks so all the carbon that goes into the atmosphere is is collected the excess is collected what the air can't handle is collected in the ocean but everyone wants to forget about that so let's talk about this rigorous process that follows a routine method that's meant to be scrutinized. What the heck are you talking about, Sussman? I'm talking about science. Science! 
Science begins with a hypothesis, a suggested, a suggested explanation for observable phenomenon or a reasoned prediction of a possible causal correlation among multiple phenomena. So the hypothesis would be the use of fossil fuels is artificially warming the atmosphere, altering the Earth's climate and endangering life on Earth. Next, the hypothesis is properly tested through observation, data collection, analyzation, interpretation of the data. A conclusion is then drawn and the results are publicly presented or published, if you will, so that they may be validated through further experimentation. Okay, so here's, here's our hypothesis. This is what we have. Take a look, everybody. Shoot holes through it. Now, at this point, the hypothesis may progress to a theory, and apparently that's what's happened with global warming. People are saying, well, yeah, theoretically, I guess, you know, fossil fuels could artificially warm the atmosphere. Earth's climate, I guess you could say it's being altered. Life on Earth is being endangered, I guess. Okay, there it is. We're going to publish this one. There's our theory. Throw, throw darts at it. Take out a shotgun, blast the heck out of it, do whatever you want. So if the hypothesis progresses to a theory, and that's what's happened with global warming and climate change, um, it's supposed to be tested. It's supposed to be well substantiated. There's supposed to be a unifying explanation for a set of verified proven factors. A hypothesis really only suggests a possible outcome that is testable and falsifiable, but a theory is always backed by evidence. And then once rock solid, a scientific theory can become law, like in the law of gravity or in the law of motion or thermodynamics. But climate change has not done that. In fact, some argue it's a weak theory. It hasn't ascended to law. It's a weak theory. And yet look at all the rules, regulations, laws that are being put in place in the name of climate change. Look at the government intervention. Look at the government overreach. Look at the, the call for a great reset because of climate. Again, some would argue it's a weak theory. No one would say it's ascended to law. And yet we are going to radically change the way we live on planet Earth in the name of this change. So clearly one can see a potential problem within this scientific system of verification. The process assumes personal integrity and honesty. In the world of scientific research, there's a slogan, publish or perish. That means if you want to get paid or if you want to progress your career, let's say you're working at a university. Maybe you're working at a think tank. Maybe you're on your own, just sort of carving out a little space for yourself. You have to publish or you will perish. If you want to get paid, if you want to progress in your career, you must keep publishing material that advances a popular theory like anthropogenic climate change. Our researchers, including those with an inherent bias, political or otherwise, invulnerable 
to misdeeds? I mean, listen, if you've got to publish or perish, if you want to be a part of the in crowd, well, if you're a real highfalutin individual and you want to go to Davos, hey, don't argue against anthropogenic climate change. Go with the flow, man. Go where the money is. Even if the end justifies the means, as we talked about in the last podcast. I mean, why would, why would these researchers, especially if they're down for the cause, especially if they realize, okay, all of this is being used to bring forth a great reset, which is going to change the way in which people live. It will change, it will abolish capitalism. It will change labor. It will bring forth a new day. And finally, finally, socialism, communism will be put forth in a way that works. We won't have to worry about the low-minded because we, the high-minded, will finally, finally be in charge. So if you believe that and you're a researcher, why wouldn't you lie? Why wouldn't you make stuff up? Why wouldn't you be tricky? Socialists and communists, by and large, are atheists. They don't believe in natural law, you know, the laws that God placed within our hearts to, between good and evil. They certainly don't believe in uh, revelatory law as found in the Bible. So if they don't believe in that, they don't have a moral code. Why not lie? Why not lie? You see, friends, tragically, the scientific community has actually become intolerant and indignant of opposing thoughts. They don't want to debate. They don't want, they'd rather name call. They'd rather silence you. They'd rather do what they're doing to me and many, many others on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, right? The scientific community has become intolerant, indignant. Even when there are rational observations, I'm thinking of some guys, and I'll just name a few off. I've, I've met all but one of these people. Um, Dr. Fred Singer. Dr. Fred Singer is no longer with us. He died not too long ago. Former space scientist, meteorologist. He was foundational in the development of weather satellites. He was a guy who said, anthropogenic global warming, don't buy it. Dr. Neil Frank. Dr. Neil Frank is a former director of the National Hurricane Center. He didn't buy it. John Coleman. He founded the Weather Channel. Now, uh, Dr. Bill Gray, hurricane research pioneer, hurricane forecaster pioneer. Didn't believe it. Dr. Roy Spencer. Uh, research scientist, University of Alabama, Huntsville. The, the global warmers have a real problem with Dr. Roy because he oversees satellite-based temperature monitoring, and he's not in. And then there's Dr. Joanne Simpson, one of the most preeminent scientists of the last 100 years and the first woman to obtain a PhD in, me in meteorology. She's not in. So you get, and, and I could go on and on with a list, but no one wants to talk to these people. No one wants to hear their side of the story. No one wants to look at the research. In fact, it's so difficult for people in that camp to get their research published. So difficult. 
that they have to self-publish and then they're belittled for it. It's, it's amazing. So yes, there's plenty of opportunity for bias with carbon dioxide and with temperature. But let's talk about life-giving carbon dioxide for just a few more minutes here. There's a recent study. Now this, this did get published and it, it kind of blows me away. International Journal of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences. Here's a portion of the study. The increasing levels of CO2 will not lead to significant changes in Earth temperature. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it again. The increasing levels of CO2 will not lead to significant changes in Earth's temperature. It's amazing. No one wants to hear that. Oh, they're just, you know, one off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's their opinion. Okay. Uh, when considering anthropogenic climate change, perhaps the greatest fabrication is that carbon dioxide is a pollutant. Can we at least can we can we at least agree it's not? CO two pollution. It's now driving an entire movement dedicated to resetting society as we know it. It's not a pollutant. It's without it we don't live. With more of it we live better. You know, it's amazing. The primary gases in the atmosphere, nitrogen and oxygen, account for 78% of our atmosphere. 78 and 21%. So um, nitrogen, 78%. Oxygen is 21%. CO2 is 0.04% of the entire atmosphere. 40 one-thousandths of 1%. That's it. Uh, I talked about this in my book, Climate Gate, but I got this from Michael Crichton's best-selling eco-thriller, State of Fear. And I published it in the book, giving credit, of course, to Michael Crichton. Okay, so here, think of the Earth's atmosphere as a football field. From the goal line to the 78-yard line, nitrogen. The next 21 years, stretch, 21 yards, Stretching to the 99-yard line is oxygen. The final yard. The final yard is argon. Argon. But there's still four inches to go. Or excuse me. Three inches to go. Three of the remaining four inches are crammed with a variety, a whole bunch of minor but essential gases. The last inch the last inch is carbon dioxide. One inch out of a hundred yard football field. If you were looking down from the stands, it would almost be imperceptible. How much of that last inch is contributed by human activities? Are you ready for this? So entire football field, last inch is carbon dioxide. What percentage of that last inch is created by humankind? Take a quarter and stand it on its edge, that thin. <laughs> that thin. We're going to change the whole world on that. So you say, well, I thought it's increased. Well, yeah, it has increased. It, carbon dioxide concentrations have gone up and down as, as far as we know forever. How much has it increased since 
industrialization, 50%. So that's half the thickness of a quarter. I'm so glad you're listening and I'm so glad you're with me on these podcasts. Uh, appreciate you being so interested in this all important topic. And I hope you'll pass these podcasts along. BrianSussman.com, Brian Sussman Show on Facebook, you know the drill, and on Instagram for daily doses of inspiration, it's Brian Sussman Show as well. Thank you very much. Tomorrow on this podcast, we're going to continue talking about CO2 because carbon dioxide is a super fertilizer necessary for life. God bless you, my friends. Until next time.